0: Are you ready for a quote that's gonna challenge you? Here it is. Christianity is the best thing that ever happened to women's rights. <laughs> have you ever heard that before? I gotta admit, when I first read that, it was it was an interesting read that, that Christianity and the Bible have had more impact on modern women than anything else on the planet, which ironically leads me to the verse of today that we're looking in, in Ephesians 5. And it's gonna be just as shocking When contrasted with that first statement listen to this ephesians 5 22 wives submit yourselves to your own husbands as to the lord i mean talk about what seems to be conflicting statements you're probably wondering how my first quote christianity is the greatest thing to ever happen to women's rights and wives submit to your husbands can can coexist right i mean this verse here in 22 this is the reason that some people watching right now have a problem with god's word He's, that's the very reason I left the church that's, that's why I can barely be a part of this. It seems to be proof for some people that this is this is why Christianity is antiquated and, and, and doesn't work in today's world but and doesn't even honor and value women except except for one thing There's more going on here than that meets our American eyes And with this verse in mind verse 22 I want to stand still on my opening statement about what Christianity has done for women's rights. And today we're gonna look at how those are both true. We're gonna look into Ephesians 5 and how Paul is teaching the people of Ephesus to love God and love each other in very practical ways. And so let's go back to our verse, Ephesians 5, verse 22. Wives, submit yourself to your own husband as you do to the Lord. Now, this this verse has been correctly taught. It's been abused. It's been applied. It's been hated. It's been celebrated in in almost any different church that, that has the nerve to preach it. It comes across in some different way. But there's something about this verse I want you to know right off the bat, something that we need to reclaim from what, what God intended. And it has to do with a collection of papyrus leaves that are currently located in the University of Michigan. Now, these leaves, of the papyrus, are known as Parchment 46, the oldest known manuscripts of Paul's writings. What's amazing is that Parchment 46 is nearly a complete collection of Paul's writings, except for some Romans and some others were left, a few verses left off you, that. It is, of course, written in Greek and is the oldest source of Ephesians that we have. And here's the part that's interesting. In this earliest version of Ephesians, the one where we get our modern translations from. Here in verse 22, the word submit isn't in the verse. It's not in verse 22. In Parchment 46, the earliest version, verse 22 does not read, wives submit to your husbands. Now that doesn't mean that your Bible is wrong. And it's actually due to a language nuance and moving from the greek to the english is why that happened we're going to look at this but in verse 22 of this oldest copy of paul's letter to the ephesians there's no verb in that sentence and there's a reason And it's very common in greek the verb submit isn't in verse 22 it's actually found in verse 21. in verse 21 it states the verb submit and in greek in the greek fashion it infers the verb in the next verse. So when translating to English, where it's inferred, we just add it back in. And therefore, and this is what I wanna to discuss today, to fully understand verse 22, because it's an inference, well, to fully understand about wives in verse 22 and about husbands in verse 25, it seems we should fully understand verse 21, where the verb was, wasn't was inferred, instead it's it's stated, it's commanded so i know what you're asking what's verse 21 well i'd love to tell you but first you see we, we can't go there yet we have to go to verse 18 even earlier verse 18 ephesians 5:18. paul tells the reader to be filled with the spirit and then he begins to list off some ways that that would happen and what it would look like in the person's life now now your bible has chapter numbers it has verse numbers it has different paragraph breaks but but paul's did not paul's writing a letter there's no numbers in there and so in verse 18 when he says be filled with the spirit he then continues to write the letter expanding on what it means and what it looks like he didn't get to verse 21 and go let's start a whole new thought verse 21 no no no. he he can, he's continuing. Our entire section today is Paul continuing to multiply on what a believer's life looks like when they are filled with the Spirit. Verse 18 is the key foundation for today's verses. A person who is filled with the Spirit would therefore, and now's where we get to verse 21. A person who's filled with the Spirit is called to submit to one another of reverence for Christ. I mean, verses 18 and verses 21 are the keys to understanding this whole marriage idea that Paul is going to be talking about and that we're going to be talking about. And notice it doesn't start talking to wives or to husbands. He doesn't make any distinction in verse 21. In fact, he begins the marriage discussion by talking about both man and woman submit to one another. That's how he starts this off. You see, there's a hierarchy of commands going on and they, they continue to move up the page and submit to verse 18. Verse 18, be filled with the spirit. Verse 21, submit to one another. And then following that, it gets to specific groups. Wives, here's what submission looks like for you. Husbands, here's what submission looks like for you. It even goes into chapter 6 and talks to children and tells them, here's what submission looks like to you. And fathers, here's what submission looks like to you. And and even slaves and masters because that was a reality in that Greek culture. Here's what it looks like for you to be filled with the Spirit. The whole point of this is to realize that, that we're to be filled with the Spirit submitting to one another. Still don't believe me? Still don't believe it's for everybody? Here's another, con- it's common in the New Testament. In fact, in Paul in Philippians 2, he's very clear here. He says this in Philippians 2, verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility consider others above yourselves. That's submitting below them. Not looking to your own interests, interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Now we have a mutual submission. Verse 5, in your relationships with one another, in your relationships, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to use to his advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, that's submission, being made in human likeness. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross." So we see that believers who are filled with the Spirit and loving each other out of humility and submission, that's how Jesus modeled for us. Verse 21 could not be any clearer. It speaks to both husband and wife. This is mutual submission. You see, we've been given the mission, love one another and below the mission is the sub-mission to love one another more than yourself. Now, why do I make this distinction? Why is this important to to, to look at? Because oftentimes, verse 22 has been used in the past as a club to quote, put women or keep women in their place, when in reality, the teaching is an invitation for both husbands and wives to elevate one another into an experience of true intimacy and godly marriage. Yes, verse 22 talks to believing wives about submitting to their husband. But before you roll your eyes and walk off and log off, I think you should see what the husband is called to do as well as he submits. Now, to show why that's important, you need context into the Roman and the Greek culture that existed right then when Paul's writing. Who is he writing to? What's happening there? Because it's important to know how they view men, how they view women, and how they view marriage. You see, the Roman culture had instituted something. You can read a lot about this. It's out there. It's called Patria Potestas. It's Latin that translates to power of the father. What Patria Potestas means is that the father is the lord of the household. In this Greek and Roman culture, the wife and children were property of the male to the point where he could, and they have documents. They have. He did sell children or wives. They were property of his He could even enforce capital punishment on them if he chose to. Here's a look at the life of a woman in Ephesus during the time of Paul based on Roman and Greek culture. If she was a respectable woman, she would not be allowed to leave the house without her husband or an escort that he entrusted to take her somewhere. She had her own small quarters in in the part of the house that she would lock herself into when the guests came over. Girls were not allowed to have education and not allowed to speak in public. Roman women were expected to wear a head covering, a veil, as a sign of their husband's authority over them. And he could divorce her if she left or went out in public without her veil. You see, Paul's writing these words about marriage to a culture that did not value women. And, and this is a large part of how Christianity has championed women's rights. There's some fascinating books on all this. And one that I'm touching on today that is fun to look into is Alvin Schmidt's How Christianity Changed the World. And he has this quote. He says, what would the status of women in the Western world be like today had Jesus Christ never entered the human arena? One way to answer this question is to look at the status of women in most present-day Middle Eastern countries. Here, women are still denied many rights available to men. And when they appear in public, they must be veiled, their property inferior to men. He goes on to talk about how non-Western societies, it's still legal for a husband to beat or desert his wife. This isn't commentary on Middle East or Islam. This This is contrast. Women are living today in certain places of the globe, very similar to how they would have lived back in Ephesus when Paul's writing appeared and called them to something different. So again, when Paul's letter arrives and they're they're reading these mind-blowing truths about Jesus and all he's done for us, and then it says, wives, submit to your husbands, everybody would agree completely. Well, yeah. So how then did Christianity set women free from this kind of culture? Well, it, it starts, there's so much here I had to leave out. It starts with how Jesus consistently honored and elevated women during his ministry. And then here in Ephesians, it's because Paul didn't stop at verse 22 he, he didn't just give them verse 22 about wives submitting and they all nod he, he kept going in fact he spends three verses on what the wife should do and nine on the husband and what he says to men what they're going to hear in this greek and roman world it, it, it is paradigm shifting counter culture rocking social justice changing women's rights parading pro-marriage celebrating the big Because he's about to give the men, the husbands, a command that they have never seen or heard before. Unfounded. Christianity is about to take up the cause for women's rights and show their great value to God by showing them how the men should value their wife. Verse 18, let's review. Paul tells the readers, male and female, be filled with the Spirit. Verse 21, he tells the reader, male and female, to submit to one another. Verse 22, wives, you do this out of your love for the Lord. Then in verse 25, the husband. Husbands, love your wives just as Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for her. I have to admit, it's only when I immerse myself in a Greek Roman culture that this verse even begins to shock me because here in our American eyes, it's like, eh? Love my wife, love, okay, of course. The first four words, husbands, love your wife. This is a given in our culture. You see, we don't we marry we get to marry for love. It's not an arranged parents, arranged marriage by the parents with some dowry payment. And this love that Paul mentions here, this is the, the agape, the big, the consuming, the unconditional love. Husband, agape, your wife. Oh, oh you, you think you you think you own her? Unconditionally love her. Have affection for your wife. Agape elevates her needs and desires. Agape cares how she feels. Agape wants to know her heart, her hopes and her dreams. Agape wants to celebrate and value. And Agape wants to honor This is paradigm changing. In fact, Paul goes on to use some words of what this husband's love should look like. And in verse 29, he he says, a husband should nourish and cherish his wife. Nourish your wife's heart so it grows expand her heart based on your agape love for her. To an Ephesian husband, he may have never even considered his wife's heart, let alone nourishing it by giving her what she needs most. She, she was there to give him what, whatever he needs. But this is a 180 on the view of marriage and on women. And then he said to cherish. Cherish your wife. Cherish means to keep warm. That's what we keep warm. Husband, May your love keep your wife's heart warm. In a marriage, if someone's heart goes cold towards their spouse, obviously, oftentimes there's been a lack of, of cherishing, lack of keeping warm. And so when you say, husband, don't clam up, don't close up, don't speak down, and therefore cause her warmth to grow cool. No, no, cherish your wife keep her heart open and warm by your love, by your words, by your actions of agape. Verse 31, Paul says, A man should leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. In Ephesian culture, marriage was a business transaction. Purchasing a wife with a dowry to provide you children and service, Paul's calling the man to a loving relationship. The word unite here means to bind together, to make two separate things, one new creation. Not inferior and, and superior, not, not that. No, no, two halves to come together. God is elevating the role of a wife to someone the husband would, would unite his life with, not someone he would purchase and keep around as long as she, she's useful. She was glued to his life, his heart, his soul, to the extent they became one. And he was bound together with her life and her heart and her soul to the extent they they were one. The grandest commandment of all, though, the one that would have caused some some raised eyebrows when they were reading Paul's letter for the first time is, is back in 25, where it says, Husbands, love your wives as Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands are to love their wife, the way Jesus loves his church, which every husband hearing this should, should be wondering, well, how did Jesus love the church? And bottom line, there's a lot of ways, but the main thing is this, Jesus modeled sacrificial love. He loved the church in a way and it cost him dearly. He went through torture and he went to the cross for his church, his bride. He laid his life down for her. Would you give your your life for your wife? Someone said, one of you has to go, would you say, take me? Like, would, would you die for your beloved bride? The more important question, husband, is will you live for her? And will you die to your selfishness every day? Will you sacrifice for her? Put down what you're doing and listening to, to her heart, cherishing her heart. Will you sacrifice for her, putting aside your own desires to, to fulfill hers? This is the great challenge for both husbands and wives. But but let us go back to verse 21 because it makes it all clear again. Verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. There's a term that a lot of pastors and counselors have used for this. A marriage the way God intended and designed is built on this mutual, voluntary submission. Mutual voluntary submission. This is where we're both choosing to submit out of love to one another. And here's why. Let's just be honest about relationships. We get into relationships as humans for the most part to get our desires met. Emotional desires, intellectual desires, physical desires, romantic relational desires. And these desires aren't negative. We're, we're made to live in relationship. We're created this way. We all have desires and we all want them fulfilled by somebody. And what happens and this most, this deepest happens and most holistically in a marriage context, that's where we're most, those desires should be most satisfied. So when we have these desires, which are normal for each of us to have, we take them to somebody to be filled. We take them to our spouse, and most often in a marriage, it ends up being two people, if we're honest, two people waiting for the other person to come over and fulfill their desire. Two people waiting. The problem is when two people are waiting for each other to fulfill them, both are unsatisfied. At some point, one person either, you know, reads a book, hears a, an amazing sermon, or is moved by God and puts down their desires and needs and goes over and fulfills the relational desires of their spouse. And it would, it would be as simple as to ask them like, you know, how's your day going and then listening. It could be anything, whatever that would be for them to leave your desires and go fulfill them. And the one side is the recipient of the other's self, selfless submission in meeting their needs. The hope is that this person then reciprocates and sometimes they do. And you get a this back and forth reciprocating thing. Other times they don't. And soon we have one side feeling like, well, I'm doing all the work, I'm doing all the submitting in this relationship. And the whole time, both parties have these desires and you're both very aware of how empty or full they are. You're very aware of where you're not having your desires met. What Paul's asking us to do here is to stop this transactional interchange, the keeping score of of not being fulfilled and how you're the one doing the work or how, how it's not even even, Paul is calling married believers to a life of selflessly loving their mate out of agape. It would look like this. Voluntarily, both of you stepping out of your needs and going to fulfill the needs of your spouse. And this is clear based in verse 21. So, so married folks, listen to me. Know that your marriage, like salvation, isn't supposed to be a star chart or scorekeeping. That's the transactional kind of marriage. You know how much they're doing for you. You know how much you're doing for them and you're kind of keeping a tally. You know, see how your mate isn't measuring up or or how you're doing all the work or perhaps you're on the receiving end of an amazing spouse and you got a pretty sweet deal. The Bible's clear. Be filled by the spirit and mutually, voluntarily, step out of your own selfishness and go step into the world of your spouse and fulfill their desires. Mutual voluntary submission to one another is the narrow path to a joy-filled, intimate, and long-lasting marriage. Instead of competing to get your needs met, compete to meet the needs of each other. Like, like see who can bless the other the most. Can you imagine that just both of you having your needs met by mutually fulfilling them? putting, Putting each other's needs ahead of your own? I mean, if we, if we do this, your marriage will be aligned with heaven, the way God designed it to work best. Now, for those of you who have spent a lot of time in Ephesians, we both know I left a lot of meat on the bone in Ephesians 5. There's no way I can cover all the nuances of chapter 5, and I can honestly say I, left, I had left more on the cutting room floor of today's sermon than any past week, which is why. Which is why. This week, husbands or wives, I want you to take some time together To read Ephesians 5, this part on marriage. Sit down and read it over and discuss it with one another. It might be hard, but this is how God intended it. For you to grow one another, to see where we need to repent. And this isn't a blame game. This is how can I mutually voluntarily submit to you. Take some time, repent, encourage one another. Covenant to mutually submit to one another out of love. The greatest thing we could do for one another in marriage is to root ourselves in God's word. This exercise this week of reading through Ephesians 5 will do more for you than any one sermon. This is how the pattern would be, that that we go to God's word to see how to grow ourselves and our marriage. Your Your time together in the word will have much greater effects than my teaching. But I want to speak to some people now who, if you're still with us, you may have tuned out or even turned off. You see, what about those that are dating? What about the divorce, the widows, the singles? Because when it comes to submission, there's something here for everyone, actually. Married, single, and all in between, we are all called to to submit to Jesus. First and foremost in salvation, we submit our heart to him. And, And from then on, we learn more and more what it means to submit other parts of our life to our Savior, and that is how we mature. My simple definition of spiritual maturity is this, increased dependence on God. Spiritual maturity is simply that, increased dependence on God. And so in other words, it's finding those places in our lives where we are living independently of Him and choosing to submit and surrender in those areas. The most mature thing we could do in response to this is ask God, where am I out of alignment with you? Where am I acting independent of you that you want me to submit and come back to your way? The question for each of us is, is where do I submit more to you, God, today? Now, this might be an area of private sin, that you have not surrendered to him, you've not submitted it. It could be an area of indifference to God's ways that you need to submit to. Wives and husband, based on today's sermon, do you need to resubmit yourself to God's way and your spouse? Submitting to God's way of living, it, this is like the bottom line of Jesus following. It's important to look at those places that we still refuse to surrender and submit. That's the place today that he's calling you to greater spiritual maturity. That's the very place. Ending today's sermon, husbands and wives, Paul gives us the map for a godly marriage, a mutual voluntary submission out of love to Jesus, out of love for one another. And for all of us, we're called to submit to Jesus, each of us in our hearts, to his way in our life. And so we have to ask, how are we gonna respond to this today? Perhaps. Maritally and relationally, what would God have you do with this? Like, how is your marriage doing? How Are you, are you keeping the score? You know, the first step might be for you to, to wipe the scorecard clean of your spouse and yourself. Maybe you agree to do it. Maybe you do it privately on your own. And you step into these verses. Here's what I want. In the song that will follow this, I want you to pray through this. Because the Spirit, I trust that He's going to make it clear what's next for you. So during the next song, bow your head in your living room right there and be asking, God, where am I living my life independently, refusing to submit to you? What would it look like, God, for me to submit those areas? This is a dangerous question that requires some bold decisions on the other side of it. Whether you're married, how do I need to adjust to my marriage? Or rather not, how do I need to adjust to your way? In this next song that's 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 your assignment whether single or married dating or divorced, let us let us all leave this time together with a clear path on knowing how God would have us follow him in a new way like let us let us submit to him out of love and let us submit to each other out of love and humility I want you to be on the lookout for something, those of you those of you who are married. We have completed this past week a marriage reboot seminar. Listen, we know how over the last seven months, many of us have been through some dark valleys and, and perhaps your marriage has been tested like never before. We gathered some some couples together from people who were just married during the pandemic to those who've been married for decades, to for those with kids, to those of the empty nesters. And we, and we got us together and had a, a seminar on what it would be like to reboot our marriages after this season we just came through. And this is for you. And so we're gonna be releasing it here in the next couple of weeks. And, and I would say this, schedule a date night. It's under an hour and sit with your spouse and listen to the, to the Orchard Reboot Seminar and, and see what God would have you do. Maybe your marriage can, can grow from that as it's built on God's foundation. To each of us out there today, I'm praying that God's spirit would reveal clearly during this next song, where it is that you need to surrender, where it is that, that you've refused to submit some areas in your life, And those of you who are married, I'm praying that God bless you. May he bless your marriage and maybe after this sermon, may may you wipe some slates clean, some scorecards, and may you step into God's flow of loving your beloved out of the honor you have for God. Orchard, as always, I love you and I'm praying for you. Love God, we love people.